0: And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with the magnanimous Dr. Bear Paul Lando. That was the word I was trying to say off the top of my head uh, last episode, Bear.
1: Uh, (laughs) So you've been practicing.
0: (laughs) That's a tongue twister. Uh, Yes, we're here coming to you live and direct from the great state of Jefferson, where freedom still reigns supreme up here on the glorious Smith River, where uh, we get a little cool off from uh, the heat. We had a bit of a, a heat wave come in, hit 100 a few days, we're in the river a lot. Bear, it was lovely uh, seeing some images of you uh, down there on Unicorn Island, I hope. Well, I didn't see you um, actually <laughs> nude sunbathing, but I figured uh, you guys were having fun there on the 4th. Uh, happy 4th to everybody, happy Independence Day. For all those who celebrated, uh, hopefully you guys got a little R&R, and we're here today with the great Jason Brashears from Archaics, our third broadcast. So exciting. We're going to go deep into the uh, hijacking of Christianity, first century uh, AD or CE, however you want to play the game, Uh, and I want to get right into it. Uh, One thing real quick, July 11th, right around the corner, Bear, the end of COVID officially launches. Uh, Jason, we're doing this large uh, event called The End of COVID, which is um, a terrain-based education uh, platform, over 90 um, uh, talks, presentations, mini documentaries, uh, waking up the world to the fraud that is germ theory. And uh, careful
1: what you say here, Michael. We're going to get our third strike.
0: (laughs) You know what? They've kind of backed off a little bit on it, but uh, what do you know? I probably uh, should. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Uh, real
1: quick on that, um, just a little in-house business. And and Jason, uh, thanks so much for being with us today. And we want to give you all the time here. Uh, If you don't mind, just a little bit of in-house. Josh Biggelson of the Biggleson Academy, him and his brother, Adam, uh, uh, doing amazing work, carrying on the work of their father. And, uh, you know, I have a long history of uh, live cell microscopy in my terrain, medicine, career, And uh, their dad, and they're again, carrying it on uh, really pioneered an understanding of the holographic uh, universe uh, and being able to demonstrate how that even out pictures in the blood. So um, uh, Josh was here, uh, giving me some nice tutorials with his uh, microscope. Uh, We're already in um, and, uh, you know, cahoots with them. Uh, You know, I've been... uh, giving a few talks on their academy. Uh, he was here, we had a good uh, lecture, which we're gonna be uh, broadcasting on um, our Alpha Vedic channel very soon under our uh, our, our new little um, series, which is Off Grid Elegance. And that will uh, feature not just a lot more going on here at the farm, but also our in-house chats of people that visit the farm and we'll have a lot of notables like uh, Josh. So that's another one that'll be uploaded very quick. And uh, just a shout out to the Bigglesons at Bigglesons Academy, uh, dot com. uh Everybody go there. They've got a lot of interesting things, a lot of services, uh, great services to offer. So Mike, why don't you give our intro and let's get in with Jason sure. here.
0: One thing I'll say about the Bigelssons bear with Jason here, talk about uh, as above, so below in the blood, the holograms, right? The holographic yeah. uh, presentation is literally happening in our blood that Jason talks about with the holography. So a lot yeah. of tie-ins And there. I was trained,
1: yeah, I was trained in old school German microscopy and, you know, in my work, because people would come, you know, with illnesses and- I'd be uh, really more focused in on microorganisms and, you know, their whole pleomorphic role in health and helping restore the train, And then again, the big sense, uh took it to another level uh, with what you're referring to, Michael. And it's more in alignment with where I've gone since my career days, which is, the, you know, the alchemical perspective uh, as above, so below as you state. So let's get it started.
0: Beautiful. Yes. Very excited for today's chat. Uh, Has Christianity been hijacked? Why were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the alleged authors of the Synoptic Gospels, never mentioned until 125 years after the events that these writers depict? Were any of them actual members of Jesus's chosen 12? Are the Gospels allegory, Vatican sutterfuge, or the authentic word of Old Testament deity, Quote, come to know what is in front of you, and that which is hidden from you will be made clear to you, for there is nothing hidden that will not become manifest. The Nazarene. These are just a few of the topics that returning guest Jason Brashears will address with his trademark enthusiasm and encyclopedic knowledge. Jason draws from a diverse database of ancient texts representing an eclecticity of cultures, traditions, and timelines to weave a masterful tapestry of secrets long hidden and what they may portend. Current global events are deeply rooted in the past and our discussion will draw upon this relevance to better understand how mankind now can make ready for the final exodus from bondage. For those new to Jason's work, familiarize yourself with his foundational research and concepts introduced in AlphaCast episodes. Are we in a false reality simulacrum and Breaking the Chains of Historical Cycles, two great shows we've done previously with Jason. Um, And while Jason's simulation theory may be a stretch for some, the depth and breadth of his information base is formidable, while some of the conclusive links drawn are undeniable. Uh, Today, Bearer, we're going to go into the first century. Rome, I will say, it's quite apparent, uh, with comedians even like Brewer, Jim Brewer out there recently saying that it's clear we're still under Roman rule. We understand the Roman civic law system is still uh, kind of binding us in certain ways. So I think uh, it's very apparent, as you say, today, this is very relevant to today and what we're going through.
1: Yes, and uh, myself being a descendant uh, from the Roman gods, (laughs) I am very conflicted. But, um, hey, it's time to move on and uh, for the Romans to uh, give the reins back to the people. Uh, Jason... uh, so good to have you again. Uh, you know, we always uh, love having you. Our audience loves it. so uh, we're gonna dive a little deeper today. You know,, uh, we ended that little intro with uh, people maybe being stretched with uh, the idea of a simulation theory. To me, it's not a theory, and it can be very easily explained with waveform mechanics and the fact that we live in a thought-based electrical universe and uh, a rich the authentic creator. You know, uh, allowed us to play within that simulation. And now that brings us into a lot of your work where we're talking about synthetic overlays, uh, in other words, simulations within simulations. And one thing that really uh, caught me, what you said, uh, you know, just recently was uh, the demiurge can only add to the simulation, they can't take away. And that's our great power. You know, maybe they can add a lot of BS in there to subterfuge and control people. But the truth is always there. And what we're all doing is uh, uh, exposing the truth, not just exposing the lies. And, uh, you you know, the original authentic simulation is always going to trump everything. It has more power, more juice behind it. So we're getting back in alignment with that. And um, you know, a great place to start is our topic of the day, which is um, uh, this, uh, this is say a, cro- um, a contrast between Gnostic Christianity and what has become known as Christianity uh, by way of the Vatican and why uh, that contrast occurs, what that's all about. And then if we can maybe tie that up, all at the end, and uh, maybe shed some light on the relevance of that within the simulation, and especially what we see going on in current events. So uh, again, welcome. Thanks for making time with us, Jason. And so maybe if we could just start right in with the, uh, you know, with Luke, John, Mark, and and you know the okay. guys that were the alleged authors.
2: Okay. Uh, thanks for the introduction, guys. I need Mike. You need to be my HR guy. You. (laughs) that was pretty good man so okay first of all i want to preface this by saying that any in-depth analysis of the historical record that exposes any belief system for being either fraudulent or highly manipulated is not an attack on the individuals who have fallen for the belief and this is where a lot of people have this is where they get their uh They take offense or they hit that wall of cognitive dissonance. And so these are the things that they have invested their faith in. These are the things that they believe. And when they're confronted with information that undermines that and it makes sense to them and they realize, oh, damn. I did just accept that at face value. There's no evidence for it whatsoever. When these people cross that threshold, you know, they're reacting two ways. Some, some people get discombobulated for a spell like I did and then come back much stronger and hungrier for the truth. And now they become a truther. They become a researcher and they no longer allow other people to dictate their beliefs. They now they now cherry pick the very things that they feel or know to be true, as opposed to just, just all the paradigms that are thrown at the collective. When it comes to analyzing Christianity, we we deal with this a lot because this is a soup made of all the best ingredients. And people, people have fallen for different aspects of Christianity, while they will freely admit that there are other, other parts of the religion that they don't resonate with. And this is the beauty about Christianity. It promotes so many different types of beliefs in it that it basically allows somebody who doesn't even believe that Jesus was crucified to still, in essence, refer to themselves as a Christian. It's a uh, Christianity is multifaceted. But the 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 things that we distinguish today. Absolutely, lose meaning the differences between Presbyterians and Baptists, the difference between Lutherans and and uh, Methodists, and the difference between Mormons and, and Jehovah Witnesses. These things begin to melt away the more we scrutinize the original documents from which the Christian religion came from. It's uh, all these little petty, all these little petty uh, problems that different denominations have. They all vanish. They, had, they almost have no meaning the further back we go into analyzing the origin of these Christian texts. And the, one of the real problems is, is people believe that Christianity began with Christ, and it did not. Whether Jesus was real or not, whether he was, he was actually Apollonius of Tyana, wh- whether he was a, uh, somebody who walked all the way from India and came, uh, maybe he was a descendant of, of Osaka in the 30,000 Buddhist missionaries that, that were sent all over the world. One of the largest Buddhist chapters in world history was built in Antioch, and it was during the first century uh, when Christianity developed, and the teaching me- method of the Buddhists were, was parables. So whether no matter what, if somebody believes in the historicity of an actual Jesus, or if it was a, a stage play that had been had been turned into a carnalized account of someone, a pseudo-history, it doesn't matter. It is a soup of all the best ingredients. And this is very evident in the fact that the more the the more one analyzes the early church fathers. The more the didatch, the epistle of Barnabas, uh, Clement of Rome, even second Clement, the more we go into these. Now, none of these are in the Bible. You have to understand these are not in the Bible. The Shepherd of Hermes, one of the oldest Christian documents surviving today. And it's all about the building of the Great Pyramid and divine beings that were that were in each soul was a stone of man. The whole the whole idea of the archaic concept is embodied right there in the Sh- Shepherd of Hermes, one of the oldest Christian documents. It's not in the Bible. Ignatius of Antioch, it, one of the very first church fathers, and yet. Already, we see a pattern when we study Ignatius, when we study Polycarp, when we, when we study uh, Dionysius and Papias and Quadratus of Athens, Aristides, Justin, Martyr. Guys, there is a common denominator when you read all these. One, none of these are in the Bible. And two, church administration was already set in stone when these men released their works. These are the oldest Christian doctrines, and it's already set who the presbyters are, who the deacons are, uh, who the pastors are, uh, who the evangelists are. It's already set in stone, and they speak as if, in these texts, they speak as if this is a carryover from a much more ancient order, as if a new faith appeared and was put over a pre-existing system that was already well-organized, a church-based system. So this is something I've never discussed on my own channel. Even my dark scriptures playlist, I don't really go into these details. I just go into the, I go into the the bibliographic citations of all these ancient authors who knew that this was a lie from the very beginning. And we don't have, and, and we don't have like Christian apologists are quick to point out that, Hey man, you don't have any first century authors that are claiming that this was all a lie. And that is evidence that it's all a lie because this scenario of Christianity being born in the first century isn't true at all. Every every text, every author of the first century churches is ex post facto. We have absolutely no references from the historical record that any of these texts were real or existed. They only became real after the Council of Nicaea. They only took on substance after the church ratified these as historical documents. Now, Christians are very quick to point out, well, these these were these men lived right here. Polycarp, they lived in the first century. Uh Clement lived in the first century. Everybody knows Ignatius was persecuted and he lived in the first century. Here is the problem: no historians will verify that. And there's no crossover with the secular histories. We have first century authors whose writings survive today. We all we have all we have all of Seneca. Uh, we have There's so many of them. There's like 21 different authors in the first century, uh, secular authors, and biblical scholars have even named these authors, and they don't. There's no crossover. Pliny the Elder, there is nothing to comport with this major earthquake and sun darkening that was supposed to happen, and we have two naturalists. One of them is Pliny the Elder, and one of them is Seneca. They were naturalists. Their writings are preserved today. There's no mention of these events. And They would not have ignored them because they mentioned every other earthquake and every other eclipse. So, this big, this big phoenix related one was a fiction, and it was a fiction written ex post facto. This is we have Melito of Sardis and uh Minusunia, I believe it's Minusius Felix. I never can get that name right. Minusius Felix, we have all these church invented writings that are that are introduced into the historical narrative ex post facto it's just like i say on my channel all the time every calendrical system that we have measured the the events of world history in was created after the fact that's what ex post facto means after the fact even the calendar we're on now is anno domini calendar And initially, I thought it was just something simple like Sosigenes inventing a new calendar because the old calendar of the Julian was falling out of alignment. And this is the official story. And it made sense. I had no reason to look deeper. But it didn't make sense that it was 520 years after, after the alleged events that the calendar was supposed to be a countdown from that this calendar was even created at all? Why not create a new calendar in the, from the days of, of Saucygenes in 526, a, uh, 526, which would have been 526 AD? Why not just start a new calendar there? Instead, they backdated it over five centuries to when they thought Jesus was born, and they said it was 2 B.C., Historians already know who was born in T- two B.C. In the historical record, it was Apollonius of Tyana, a miracle worker, a man who spoke in secrets. Uh, some believe it was a magician, but uh, of high ethical and moral moral fabric. But he wasn't crucified, and the sun didn't darken, and there wasn't a there wasn't a, any of these any of these weird uh, mythological overtones and miracles that you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke seem to have been rewritten centuries after an older version of the story. And in 1910, 1911, 1912, this man published a book, his name is Charles Waite. The book is called The First 200 Years of the Christian Religion. In this book, this man exposes all the historical documents showing from the ancient world that Christianity was forged. It was, in, it was, deliberately, it was deliberately created at the Council of Nicaea, and it was a carnalized Christ that usurped the original Christian doctrine because the original Christian do- doctrine did not require a blood sacrifice. It was spiritual. It was, the Christian- it was the Christianity of the Gnosis. And the church then went to war against the Gnostics. Uh, the for one of the first ones they killed was Manny the Persian, and many others, because they needed to cover their tracks. Because a lot of the eschatological material that was incorporated into the New Testament came straight out of the Zendavesta and different orders of, of different orders that had branched out from, from Iran. So we have these early writers like Irenaeus and and Theophilus, and there's so many there's so many early church fathers. But the problem is, is the more you research the church fathers, they are all promoting a very fixed church hierarchy that we know could not never have existed in the days of Jesus. Because he was totally against that, he was totally, absolutely in his own teachings. He was against putting all this together and and, and formalizing, and, and it just wasn't it wasn't the teachings of Jesus. So in order to bridge the gap between the sayings of Jesus, which are a part of the Gospel of Markion, which was before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel of Markion was found in the possession of a Turkish navigator. He had the sayings of Jesus and thirteen letters of Paul. Now Paul is an abbreviated form of actual of actually Apollonius. Marcion had these texts. These were original Christian documents. But somebody had taken that original gospel, which had no miracles. It only had profound spiritual teachings and parables. And, it's, and the gospel of Marcion starts with a strange man entering, entering Samaria at 30 years old. And he was only there for three years. And he disappeared. He was not crucified. There was no sun darkening. There was no, no, there was no uh, virgin birth, not a single miracle, water into wine. The original Christian story had none of these, but it was very spiritual material and it was full of parables. And the only thing that, that, that there's crossover with between the, the actual synoptic Gospels that were written in Rome and this Gospel was that it was written by Samaritans who had a p- problem with the Jews. and This is why the, Jew, the Jews uh, take the fall for, you know, Pilate washes his hands and all in the synoptic Gospels. This was basically the early Christian document was essentially an anti-Semitic document. It was a document by a people who had who had grievances against the local uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, the exilarchy, uh, all the Jewish authorities, and these people feel they had been usurped and they had been excluded. When they also felt that they were of the ancient pedigree of Israel, and these these people are basically the ones that made up the main body of the students of the gnosis in the first century BC and then the, and then all carried over into the first century AD. These are the very people who were in possession of over a thousand ancient texts that showed the lie of the carnalized Christ that the crucified God, the cult of the crucified God is ancient, saying that it was born on on December 25th and, and all these elements came from the ancient pagan idolatry, These things, the students of the Gnosis knew well, and the church had to spend the first 600 years of its existence eliminating everybody who believed these things, all these communities, and and getting rid of all the documents. For those who have studied Roman church church council history, you will find that there's over 200 councils. Those 200 councils, every time they convened, they omitted more and more texts. They just kept omitting more and more and more and more ancient writings and texts until they had what they wanted in 325 AD. And in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea, they basically, they basically legitimized the version of events that we know of as the New Testament. And these 13 letters of Paul were necessary because these are the ones that they give, that basically give all the authority to Rome. Rome is the ultimate authority in the Christian hierarchy. In the Christian church and the Gnostics and, and, their, and their descendants were absolutely completely against this idea. And this is why the Roman Catholic Church had to go to war with the Gnosis. And, they, and it lasted a long time. It lasted all the way to the 12th and 13th century AD when Rome finally got fed up with the fact that these people were steadily producing more and more historical texts showing the lies that they had created. These people were the Albin Jensenians and the Waldenses and the Cathars. And this genocide went through Europe principally in France when the Roman Catholic Church sent its mercenary armors to butcher every man, woman, and child, they just they couldn't they couldn't have the that exposure, so they went in and burned all their libraries, all their books, and exterminated all these people. It's a real dark stain on humanity. On humanity, but the resurgence of ancient writings that show the lie of Christianity is a constant theme throughout the historical record, and it fueled the church into doing book burnings, it fueled to, to to destroy and burn libraries, and it, and they really got a they really got a good handle on it during the burning times this is when the legislation was created on the municipal level to back up the church when the church wanted to accuse somebody of heresy or witchcraft and it allowed the church to go in and most of the times most of the times it was students of the gnosis that were being accused of the witchcraft had nothing to do with actual satanic uh, rituals or another that had everything to do with people being caught people being caught with literature or old books and all that that basically uh gave a gnostic point of view on the scriptures which is that the gospel is spiritual and there's nothing carnal about it so uh you want to talk about all these things i mean i'm sorry i'm a little long-winded on my introduction to this video but but yeah these are all this is one thing i needed to point out is 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 these early church fathers, when you study the early church father records, remember, none of these are in the Bible. None of these records are in the Bible, and hardly any of these men are ever mentioned. And yet, these are considered church fathers. However, their hierarchy, their church administrative laws and bylines, bylaws, was all very, very well established, as if we have an organization that far predates Christianity that all this was basically built on top of. They're way too organized and they're way too specific in the duties of different people. No new movement or new religion would have ever had that, that quickly, especially when the speaker and origin of the movement itself, Jesus is totally against all of these ideas.
1: So. Yeah. That's the most astounding thing is uh contemporary Christianity. Um, you know, you can't just make a blanket statement, but many Christians uh, would be very offended by some of what we're discussing here, uh, when in reality, we're just returning to the authentic uh, spirit of Christianity. And uh, it's it's also um, amazing that it's not obvious to everybody that this same tactic is going on today. And of course, religion itself many people understand the word means to reinvest. And when the Roman empire was getting spread thin and needed to re-centralize its power, they found that commonality and all these different uh, cultures and, you know, from different times and and took little kernels of truth from uh, each and then bastardized it under, uh, you know, one banner of uh, supposedly Christianity as put forth by the Vatican, And uh, what you're describing here sounds identical to the propaganda machine that exists to this day. So, no, that that wasn't long winded at all. I think it's, uh, you know, if we could just keep going on that and just maybe embellish a bit as far as, um, you know, uh, and, and again, bringing it back to full relevance to today's times and that these same forces are still at work.
0: Could I, could I ask one thing, Jason? Sure. Um, because I've watched a lot of your presentations and they're phenomenal. And uh, what I love about you is you're very keyed in on um, primary sources. Are we restricted in the first century to primarily Western primary sources and primarily Greek Roman? Um, are there manuscripts from Persia, from Asia that we've been able to um, have you, that you've referenced or exist or from uh, Egypt uh, I'm just curious because my mind always goes obviously to, you know, how things, well, one. we know history is rewritten, and rewritten, and rewritten even back then. Um, I'm wondering if things were covered up, burnt, lost with the Library of Alexandria and maybe we're we, we should keep an open mind that possibly those tech those historical records maybe,, uh, uh, I don't know, burned or taken away from who that real, Uh, figure was and then i would love to go more into uh uh, paul or apollonius right if i always say the name wrong but um who i believe was paul or paul there are people who say historically paul may not have existed at all but it seems like there is a lot of historical record that he did and who this character really was because he's seen as sort of the founder of the church right along with peter and there's a lot of interesting stuff there that you've talked about. So we can go in a lot of different directions, but I'm just curious in terms of primary sources, do you believe there may be more discovered that there's stuff that's been hidden um, and that you keep an open mind to that possibility?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, in the Western world, we have Pliny, the younger, Pliny, uh, not Pliny, the elder. He died in, in Mount Vesuvius, 79 AD. Uh, the uh, naturalist who had put together some phenomenal books and uh, that we still have today. But uh, his nephew, or uh, I don't believe it's his son; I believe it's his nephew. He's known as as Pliny the Younger. Uh, he was alive during these times, and so uh, so so were many other first century authors. And what we do not have are references to all these other authors that the church say existed. So in the church in fomenting their deception, what they had to do is invent authors and writers and then cross-reference. And when they put out a new text like Polycarp or something, they would have Polycarp mention somebody else and just drop the name Claudius. Then another author would just drop the name Melito or Dionysius. Someone else would mention that Barnabas had a, had a writing. It was very clever and it's very easy to do. But where the lie is given up, given up that all this was church Um, And this isn't just me saying this, even biblical scholars are convinced that many of these writings from the first century are all forgeries, and some of them, the forgeries, are so embarrassing that the Roman Catholic Church doesn't even try to defend them. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard of the Donation of Constantine? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember
0: that. I remember that from uh, Catholic. uh,
2: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) In the, in the donation of Constantine, a document was supposedly written by Constantine on his deathbed, giving the entire Roman empire to the church. And uh, this is the donation of Constantine. Now, the donation of Constantine didn't surface until 300 years after the death of Constantine, which is very, very peculiar. However, they produced this document when they were at their ascendancy, when the Roman church was at their ascendancy, and they were basically bullying the monarchies of Europe. This is when they decided to pull this stunt. And they used the donation of Constantine to usurp even more power, and it worked. The problem was a really, a really penetrating mind just shortly after was studying the donation of Constantine and exposed the whole thing because the donation of Constantine wasn't even supposed, it was supposed to have been written in and been an original document in, you know, the, the uh, fourth century AD. The problem with that is that the donation of constantine quoted all latin vulgate verses in the latin vulgate had not been invented yet so this is just one example of the anachronisms that have been that have been employed over and over and over writings have been found and it's been obvious that syntactical errors from the 11th, 12th, and 13th 13th century were introduced into texts that would have never had those errors if those texts were really written in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd centuries. Latin has changed fundamentally over time, and those changes are found in these texts, but, but they would have never been in the original text. And this is why many historians know, like the, like the testimony of Pontius Pilate before, before the Senate and uh Pontius Pilate the Gospel of Pilate all these are forged records are absolutely untrue uh, all the mentioning of Dionysius the Areopagite and how the the creator was destroying the world when his son was hanging on the cross and all these were fict- or fictions and then other writers other writers like Augustine would, would, would try to quote all these historic writers as men. He tried to he tried to list a whole bunch of historic writers that all mentioned the earthquake and the sun darkening and all that. The problem was was Augustine lived 400 years after the events he wrote about. He's quoting a whole bunch of authors, but we have lists from authors that were living in the first century who provided all these authors names that were from the first second and third centuries BC there's no crossover it's all made up and invented yeah these are uh, people people today automatically assume that people 2000 years ago were gullible and stupid and they were not they were documenting everything and they were making sure that many of their records could could be preserved in transmissions without too much, uh, uh, you know, redactions and, and uh, manipulation because they would, they would refer to other writers where the same information was preserved. Well, the church borrowed this practice, but where they really effed up was that every historical author they mentioned doesn't exist. They just made them all up. And then the church claims that because due, due to antiquity and age, none of those writings are preserved. They're, they're, we don't have them anymore. But, however, the Lord has seen fit to make sure that the holy writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have remained preserved to us to this day. This is the duplicity of the church, and it's, it's really astonishing when you find when, when you when you see this. When, once you begin to see it, you can't unsee it. Document after document after doc, document after document gives all the appearances of what they actually are. 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th century monk co- compositions that are just totally made up to support earlier church documents, which were also forgeries.
1: How much have uh, more recent discoveries, such as uh, Dead Sea Scrolls and uh, you know, the understanding of the Essenes, um, uh, you know, how much has that uh, contributed to just revealing some of this?
2: It doesn't contribute at all, as far as positively. So- it is, it is very wow. damning. It's very damning that the Dead Sea Scrolls from 1947 and the Egyptian Gnostic Nag Hammadi Library from 1948 in, in either series of, of, of collections of writings mention any events that are, that are in the New, Te- New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yes, these, these two libraries from the ancient world totally avoid all of this as if it never happened.
0: So we're talking like the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Judas, the Lost Gospels too, right? They they tend to show the the Jesus character as much more of a mystic and less of like the, the traditional son of God, um, which is interesting. And that, there's also like a conspiracy. I forget which one it is. It's a CIA creation because it was right around the time when the CIA um, sort of yeah. came you know, uh, so we can get lost and all that. I have a question though. There is a, a well known historian at the time, the first century AD, who was Jewish, who worked for the Romans. It was Flavius Josephus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you mention him a lot. Um, and he, he makes no mention, uh, right, of uh, as well of any of the uh, supposed apostles who were listen as
2: much. As detail specific as Flavius Josephus was about all the events leading up to the first century and during the first century, there is no way he would have ignored so profound a story as a stranger showing up and overthrowing the money market at the temple. He would have never omitted that. He would have never omitted the stranger coming up into the temple and teaching and the Pharisees and the Sadducees being bewildered. He would have never omitted that data at all what we do have in josephus is an unbroken history of all these events involving the jews and the romans and jesus isn't in any of that and what we do have is an interpolation and even biblical scholars admit that it that it's a blatant forgery that later copies of josephus aren't the same as the earlier copies later copies mention that there was a new a new belief system in, in in something called the crestus which we you know you can interpret they interpret that as as Christ or, or Christianity but the truth of the matter is is that that's an interpolation that was added later on and it probably refers to the Hari Krishnas that were invading in the first century AD a lot of people don't know that this is this is the first century AD the the emperor Osaka, in India had basically unleashed Buddhist missionaries all over the ancient world. And for about 250 years, these, these missionaries, uh, had built churches everywhere. And Antioch was one of the largest Buddhist safe havens in the Mediterranean world. And it just so happens to be, be, be also claimed by, by the Christian records to be the birthplace of, of Christianity. So, uh, yeah.
0: I bring up Josephus too. I I did bring this up before uh, we went live about Ralph Ellis and you said you do have his books and there's a lot of people in our community that have brought him up to me so I I bring him Mm -hmm. up here and I know you haven't read his books, um, but I did preface this before we go live because he does have a fascinating uh, theory through Josephus's writings that there was a Jesus and it's coming from the um, uh, Parthians, which really originate from the Scythians, which are a fascinating people that are kind of been wiped out from history. I know when I went to, I was a history major at the University of California, UC system, and I was never told about the Scythians, the Scythians, and they were a huge empire at this time uh, that were sort of a very Greek and Persian coming over. And there was a, a the king at that time uh, was King Isis, who would uh, would translate to Jesus, who, is, who led the Jewish revolt against the Romans and had literally had a crown of thorns, wore a, a purple robe, and was crucified. So uh, it's a very interesting thing. And that was in the 60s, when, around the time, uh, AD 60s, when supposedly the Q codec right, was written. So there are a lot of interesting parallels about a real historic figure there and there is even the um, oh gosh I, I had it in my notes somewhere. I did a little. I don't usually do any research before our chats because I knew you were coming on. I did the Palmyra triad triad carving triad carving of that first century that shows the the the, the, the king this king and he looks just like Jesus long hair the same crown, everything. So really interesting. And maybe the Romans are just from taking all this stuff, smashing it all together and making this, you know, this uh, whole narrative around it to, um, you know, a couple hundred years later uh, to, um, you know, create this mythos.
2: Well, what you're describing to me, this, the Scythians, listen, this, this was the great people known by all the other civilizations as the Saka. This is, this is S-A-K-A. Uh, the 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 Saka families of the steppes, uh, from which like the the Russian Cossacks uh, derived from the ancient Sumerians, not Sumerians but the Sumerians, the C I M M E R, uh, the people of Gumeri, Gomoro. These are these are these are the progenitors of, of Celts, the Gauls. Yeah, this is a huge branch of, of people. Uh, The Saka. And they and then
0: also, that's, sorry to interrupt, Jason, but the Kelsen, of course, is where we get the Druidic faith, which many believe was the original Christians. (laughs) Yes, we
2: have have the largest stronghold for early Christianity in the world is not the Middle East. A lot of people don't know this. It was not the Middle East. It was not even anywhere in the Mediterranean. But the earliest and, and, and most prolific stronghold for early Christianity is the Britannic Isles. It, it took off there before it took off anywhere else. But uh, anyway, um, the Sokka started a new calendar in 76 AD. Uh, in our 76 AD, it uh, started the new Sokka calendar. And to have a figure with a, with a, with a crown of thorns and long hair, that's, that's not a departure from anything normal at that time. Uh, the crown of thorns is an interesting deal and that's probably where where the early church got their idea to to put it but taking taking some historical details from Apollonius of Tyana and then merging them then with a with a king uh who were a, a throne all these elements this is how this is how the greatest fictions are perpetuated because they will always have an admixture of facts to throw, to muddle muddy the waters so I'm on board 100% with the, the story of Jesus being an amalgamation of all the best parts. But I am convinced by, by virtue of my own studies, and I like to quote, like Kersey Graves, the 16 Crucified Saviors Before Christ, I love to quote Akarya S. This, this woman translates many different languages. She devoted her entire life to study and all that, and she published a book Akaria S published a book called The Greatest Story Ever Sold, and it is absolutely packed with historical citations showing you exactly how they invented the Christian religion and how it took three hundred years for them to do it, and how it took them a thousand years to to basically do away with all naysayers to the point where it became acceptable. But uh, these two books are fantastic, uh, and there's more. There's don't get me wrong. There's more than that. I, I, in my library, I have a whole bunch of them. But but. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And the problem with discussing these matters is, like you, like you just mentioned, is just people become triggered because they think it's a. They take it as a personal attack when it's not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. It, it doesn't change my opinion of somebody if I find out they have fallen for a paradigm that was very cleverly put out for them to fall for. So. Uh, it's it just uh where where i where i become opinionated toward people is one if you don't want to look at the the facts and and make up your own opinion instead of just being told what the truth is and two if you see enough facts and you still cling cling to error then i'm just gonna have to let you go you're somebody i just can't be around but uh it's uh' But as far as source materials and, and these parent sources and all that, you asked about India and Tibet and all, we do have traditions. I don't know what they are. Uh, I have read the material, but there are Tibetan stories of a holy man that left the East and went to the West. And in those stories, he came back. And when he came back, he had told these stories of that, of what he experienced in the Middle East. And when he came back, he started the the the, I think it's called the Nestorian church. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just the opposite of what we've, we've been told in the West, but in the West, it was a man. It was in the Western traditions. It was a stranger that entered into the Jewish community and rocked the boat in the, in the Gnostic versions. And in the Samaritan version, it's, it was a Samaritan. It was someone who lived in the Greek Decapolis, um, the ten, the 10 Greek cities of northern, exact, it's, a, it's the exact location of ancient Israel. I'm not talking about the Jews. I'm not talking about Judea. I'm talking about ancient Israel was located right there in northern Palestine. These, are, the, these people were all deported in 745 to 721 BC, and they disappeared, and they became many, many, many peoples. And the, the, the migration routes, the, 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 who they became is a subject matter for another video. But this is the lost 10 tribes of Israel. And even Jewish scholars today have written, and I've quoted them in my materials, Jewish scholars today have even quoted that the 10 tribes of Israel are here. They are living among us today. They are, they're spread across, they're spread, they're spread abroad, you know, across the face of the world right now, well, which was prophesied for them to do. They would do it through captivity. And this one people that you're referring to, the branch of the Saka people are descended from these people. And so we have a we have these Eastern traditions that tell the same story, but from an Eastern perspective. So it seems that Christianity is a descendant of both Buddhism and maybe Neoplatonism that was that was washed in with a a lot of the gnosis. Listen, they couldn't ignore the gnosis. And the reason they couldn't was because, the fourth gospel is a Gnostic document. It's not like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There are almost no crossover between Matthew, Mark, and Luke and the fourth gospel, which is the gospel of John. As a matter of fact, biblical scholars have identified a whole list of variances and differences between John's depiction of events and the, and the, and the events of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which all come from two sources. There was an original source, the Q document, the Quell document. This was the original source, and there were the sayings of Jesus. This original document and the sayings of Jesus were put together to produce the book of Mark. Then the book of Mark was used to write Matthew, again, referring back to this Q document. Then Luke was put together using all the prior documents and some creative license. So it's a but John's unlike any of them. John has, has, has whole passages that read like they're straight out of the Nag Hammadi literature. The John, John's concepts are, are, are fundamentally different. John is a very different gospel. And for good reason. The church did incorporate the teachings of the Gnosis, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't incorporate a lot. And they ended up having to go to war with those people because they still had access to, to materials that showed the whole lie and how it was created.
1: Now, who is John, actually, because uh, apparently it's, it's not who we've been led to believe either. So what's, a, what's his personage?
2: Oh, there's no—oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Doc, Dr. Berry, we need to clear the, clear the air on that. Uh, it needs mm-hmm. to be understood that the, the Gospels were written far after the events they depict— there is Understood. no evidence. There is no evidence from any of the church fathers that the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John existed within the lifetime of the apostles. So these, whoever wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these were written by people after Jesus and the apostles were gone. These are were, these were not firsthand deals. These, were, these weren't even passed down. These were these were all like I said, they were bought, these were all written from a single source, the Q dot the Q the Q document. Now mm-hmm. uh I know you guys understand Q the Q document is quell for for source, source material, unknown source material. Scholars, scholars agree that it's an unknown source. But the sayings of Marcion and the 13 letters of Paul. Now these were a part of Marcion's collection. And you should you should get into the writings of Charles Waite from over 100 years ago in uh, the first 200 years of the Christian religion and the books that he cites to understand uh, how this gospel of Markion was used to create the, synaptic, the synoptic gospels that we have today. Uh, like I said, that gospel does not have any of the miraculous. It doesn't have any of the supernatural. It is a holy man on a holy mission, basically revealing holy things. And that's all it is. So, and it uh,
0: starts with that, for, of course, the famous beginning of that with the word. Beginning was the word, which is about yeah. as much logos as you're going to get <laughs> in a yeah. document.
2: Yeah, no doubt. There's no doubt. <clears throat> yeah, it's all. There is. God, the, the, people like to cite the church fathers like Tertullian. You know they like to cite Clement. They like to cite, uh, what is it? Origin and, and people mm-hmm. just don't realize when you when you these these writings of the uh, Augustine of Hippo. When you read these writings, they are so riddled with forgeries and errors, extrapolated uh, texts that have been taken from from other sources. they, are, they were the church's attempt early on. To give historicity to the Jesus narrative, and 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 that's how they read. They read that they they read exactly like that. And even biblical scholars can't take can't take most of the uh, the early church deals. I mean, if you were here's a here's a really here's a really good example. A, if you were to con, if you were to spend a year studying just the extra canonical the pseudo and apocryphal texts, it's a lot of them. If you were to go through all these and read those what you're going to read is a fundamentally different type of Christianity than what you'll find in the new Testament writings. And this is because these writings, these things were all just attempts to throw so many details out there just to get different populations to agree to a certain series of facts, which was published on the side, which we now have today as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, and then, uh, the original story, this is Greek stage play, was turned into this huge passion uh, event that was supposed to have actually happened. And in order to, to give that life, we have the 13 letters of Paul added to the New Testament. And here is where a real problem begins, not for the believer, because somebody who already believes or wants to believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then there's not going to be anything in the 13 letters of Paul that's going to give, give them cause to, to doubt. But for somebody who is thinking clearly outside of anything dogmatic, outside of any programming, somebody who just wants the core facts, you're not going to be able to set it aside that whoever wrote the 13 letters of Paul had never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Not one single quote from Jesus can be found in the letters of Paul. Paul doesn't mention any miracles done by Jesus. And you would think he would use those to his advantage to convince people of of the divinity of Christ. Paul doesn't mention a virgin birth. Paul doesn't mention almost anything at all supernatural about Jesus' doings. To Paul, Christianity was not about Jesus. It was about Christ and Him crucified and the daily crucifixion that your soul needs to go through in its, in its ongoing purge for, for whatever reasons. It's a, it's, a, it's a really weird sensation that comes over you when you start reading the 13 letters of Paul and you try to associate what you're reading with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because there's a gulf between them, if they're not whoever wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had no had nothing to do with writing the thirteen letters of Paul, and whoever this whoever these the whoever wrote the thirteen letters of Paul had never known the existence of the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These gospels were unknown to this individual, and that's well. The
1: earliest Christians, the earliest Christians, so it was about. Um, understanding and embodying spirit. And of course, uh, what the Vatican did was to bring us into a lot of mental details to divide everybody along those lines and to confuse. And it's the same exact tactic used today with uh, what people consider science, rather than understanding the design of our entire realm, how it functions. And as above, so below how we are each in our bodies representations of that larger function. Uh, we're all arguing about, you know, how things, uh, you know, really cause this or that, and, and just, you know, one big subterfuge. So it's the same old game. So, uh, there's another, uh, gentleman you introduced, um, uh, what was his name? Theodora, uh, about 430 AD. And, uh, what was his role as far as covering up some of the early authentic teachings, um, you know, to make way for the four gospels?
2: Well, these were these were um, all all these all these church writers. They're agents of Rome. They are just like the person that the Sosigenes, who who invented the AD calendar. The AD calendar was designed to hide the Phoenix timeline, the Phoenix calendar. I have a video. I have a video showing that because it blew my mind when I when I discovered these details from an old book where the church admits that they knew of a 552 year cycle and they needed the public not to know about it and that the 552 year cycle, which is a phoenix a phoenix cycle, it's 138 times four that it had completely destroyed the world. It, it, it's called the Justinian plague period when Ju, Justin when uh, Emperor Justinian and Theodora were ruling were ruling. Uh, uh Byzantine and uh the Eastern Orthodox Roman Empire so we had this series of destructions that started in 522 with the appearance of Phoenix and and they carried out 25 years of semi-vapor canopy form. There was no sun for a long period of time. There was plagues, uh, volcanic activity. There's all kinds of things. Worldwide cooling had happened, and the vapor canopy vanished 25 years later. And all this is very well documented, and the church tried to cover, cover it up by inventing a new calendar. Well, it's not the first time the church used the phoenix to their advantage they did it they did it when they wrote ex post facto these gospels in, in included an event where the sun turned dark for a long period of time not an eclipse 3 hours is not an eclipse so the sun the sun turned dark and there's a massive earthquake okay this is phoenix phenomenon material and and the records of the ancient world that all discuss this and and the phoenix were well-known even better at that time than they are today. Uh, It's taken a lot for me to be able to amass all the data I have on the Phoenix, but I can only imagine how much more it would have meant to those people back then to learn that, oh my God, he must have been Jesus. He must have been the son of God. If If there was an earthquake at the same time the sun goes out, because we know from our own histories, every time that happened, uh, a great man either died or was born this is the phoenix history so this is uh uh it starts with 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 uh one of the greatest uh personalities of the ancient world Enoch so um by attaching the sun darkening and earthquake deal it allowed early christian writers to identify this phenomenon as being caused by the phoenix this is in early christian writings they actually say this in the early writings that they're trying to get the people to associate jesus's crucifixion with the phoenix the problem is is all the naturalists of the day never mentioned the sun darkening or the earthquake it didn't happen at that, at least at that time, anywhere near that time, the last time earthquakes had afflicted the Mediterranean was in 31 BC, which was a true Phoenix year. It's on the 138-year periodicity, but 33 AD is not on the Phoenix timeline. And there were there are Seneca, Pliny the Younger, Pliny the Elder. Neither neither did Josephus ever record. Neither neither did Philo Judaicus. None of these men uh uh there's so many none of these men Tertullian was alive none of these men oh so was Tacitus they none of them mentioned the earthquake and the in the in the uh deal it didn't happen it was invented by the church and they want and the church wanted the people to associate Jesus with the phoenix, but all this was written three centuries ex post facto after the events. And this is why the early Christian early Christian writers didn't know hardly any of these details, because the whole story and all the miracles hadn't even been invented yet. Yeah, a lot of the early church fathers don't know anything about the miracles of Jesus. These were introduced later. This is why Paul never mentioned miracles of Jesus, never mentioned miracles, never mentioned the sun darkening, never mentioned the earthquake turning water into wine, Paul never mentioned any of these things. They were unknown to them because the church didn't invent them till later.
1: So, how do we tie all this back up to uh, present time here and what's going? You know, and we're, uh, you know, with our first few talks, we're talking about the demiurge and the uh, overlay simulation. Um, so, where do we stand today, and uh, what do you see transpiring? Well. I'm a
2: Christianity as a control system isn't really necessary, uh like it has been for for the past 15 centuries. It's just there's so many different control systems that are more effective now. It's uh the only the only way I can see it's still going to be exploited. It's not going to be exploited by the church now. It's not gonna be exploited by Rome. I believe, I believe that this strong Christian programming is about to be exploited by our own governments and that the next major conflict, which has already been planned and it's already been writ- written about in the 1880s and widely published, and people just forgot. People just, they just don't realize, man, that World War I unfolded precisely as it was written to unfold, and so did World War II. World War II resulted in the exact same thing that was predicted in the 1880s it would do because it was an agenda. World War III was also written about in the 1800s. And it's going to happen the exact same way. There is going to be... A last day's World War III crusade of the Western powers all fighting the Middle East. It is going to be a war of Christianity against Islam, and it's probably going to be set off as soon as Israeli Mossad or some other group comes in and does something to the Dome of the Rock in, in order to, uh, to uh, basically drop the first domino. But all of this is in the planning, yeah. and, and I believe the United States of America is going to spearhead the next crusade in different European countries that are absolutely fed up with the Muslim migration problems that they're having in all these countries, which is intentional and financed by the very people who want World War III. So it's a uh, this is where I believe my... that this that this narrative of Christianity is dangerous because people who yeah, believe my... that they are allied to God will follow you anywhere if you're going to fight God's battles, and that's dangerous.
1: Yeah, the the tactic seems apparent that, you know, you push the pendulum in one direction, we've gone so far left, uh, you know, to the extreme that now you get the backlash, and now the Christians will actually, and and I use that term loosely, but uh, will actually be used to, you know, go to the other extreme and do exactly what you're saying and be used by the far right. And it's called, course, being, it's uh, called
2: being groomed.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I will say, though, that there, are, um, you know, I, I know what you're referencing, too, right, in terms of the First and Second War documents in the 1800s. The, is, are you referencing the Masonic leader? Um, we talked about him, I think, on the last yeah. Alpha Cast. Well, there's a
2: guy named Mazzulli. Uh, Ma, uh, his name, I can't remember Mazzulli. He's an Italian. he's an Italian uh, mafia dude. Yeah, he's Italian mafia dude. In fact, the acronym mafia comes from his name, uh, and it comes from his ideology, which was to burn, was to burn, kill, deceive, all that stuff like that. It's in Italian the the acronym, but he and Albert Pike had a dialogue where, where they outlined where they outlined all three world wars, and the, when the first two the first two have unfolded precisely as planned, so uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that the third one will too.
0: I will say this, though, Jason, there weren't errants uh, apparent as there are now. Uh, I believe that if we take into consideration how the simulation is a construct from uh, both individual consciousness and the reality tunnel set forth there and in the collective consciousness, we do, I believe, have the ability to reshape it, especially if there is a benefactor coming down uh, again or is involved more and more so, whether that be a certain... I don't know, high-profile figure or not. Um, there is are certainly ones popping up left and right right now. Some would say maybe that's RFK Jr. Some would say he's a total controlled op. I don't know. But there. what's his message? His message is, you know, the typical message you get from the outsider coming in, trying to take on the presidency, bring all the troops home. Uh, war is not the answer. We got to get out of the Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. So it is interesting. Like, I'm a half-glass-full kind of guy. Like, I do see that there is an awakening happening right now. People are waking up to all of this nonsense and don't want to be a part of it anymore. People are opting out, and people are, quite frankly, exhausted by it all. I said this on a recent AlphaCast. People just want to like start a farm, plant food, get away from it all, are tired of the cultural nonsense, are tired of the dialectic, tired of what the news is saying. And just want to be left alone and get back to being real, you know, living men and women again. In your community, you're seeing explosion in your growth, right? Like, could you, would you be open to that? That the errants can change the coding, right, of the simulation and can affect that what Albert Pike and what I call these black magicians are trying to create because they understand how the rules work. And they're trying to force feed the simulation according to their agenda uh, and now it seems like we've got a lot more people awake to it.
2: I would, I would like to believe that I will be honest that I'm critical. And the reason I'm critical is because the dynamic operative that I have perceived is that you and I and Barry, our communities can merge. We can merge with other truther communities. We can all, and I believe that we can change our world, but the world is on a fixed program. And uh, that's why I'm I'm critical. I do believe 100% what you're saying as applied as applied to all of those who are actively doing that. But as far as the overworld that we're experiencing, I believe that the collective will still suffer the designs of the elite because they're not participating.
0: As the as we yeah, go no back to Jesus, deep. one quote I'll let you speak <laughs> fair. One as we go back to the to the Nazarene Jesus, um uh be of what is it now be of the world not in it now i'm going to misquote it but that that point is right is like being your own master and not being so in tune with all the narrative around you and controlling your own reality and i think that's what the gnostics were really all about Um, go ahead bear sorry
1: no i I was just going to say that a lot of the teachings of the mystics have always referred to this time as um for those who will be left so I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if many people succumb, but um, isn't it really a matter of choice? And as as you said, Jason, um, you know they can only add to the simulation; they can't really take away. So I I still believe the original design was truth, and if you just define truth, it's basically light. And uh, you know, so I, I guess uh, maybe a question in that is. This artificial edifice—that's, um, you know, maybe an overlay, whatever you want to call it—a a simulation of its own—is um, it serving a useful purpose uh, to allow people to make that choice? And um, and and as I've heard you even say, which I kind of uh, believe that the folks that are making the choice to not fall for the fear. Will just simply vanish someday from this uh, synthetic overlay, and that, uh, however, others will be um, trapped, you know, within the simulation.
2: Listen, I got I, ha- I have a, I have a very good answer for this, and my answer is literally quoting the New Testament itself. So this, I understand. There's a dichotomy here. It's also, it's also oxymoronic that I would sit here and criticize the provenance of the new testament writings and yet still rely on it as an authority does this seem like a paradox to you
0: i I would say no because the perennial philosophy still um is interjected within it our good friend marty Leeds has been fundamental in explaining to us how the gnosis is still in those books right you have the parables you have a lot of the um sort of um Math, mathematical mysticism in it, connected to the sky clock. uh, Okay, and let me continue. Yeah, then
2: Then let me continue to answer uh, Barry's question. So, I'm going to tell you with the same mouth that by erudition and long study and deep delving, back when I was a Christian, I really, really wanted to believe this story because I had believed it for many years of my life. And now that I've done all this research and I've isolated all these particulars, I can lay them all out. And now I understand how, how it was done. But what I can't get past, what I still can't get past is the original gospel of Marcion is so spiritual. There's nothing supernatural in it. There's no miracles, but, but it is so spiritual. It's just the teachings of Jesus. And then it's parables. I am on board with the fact that this story is is divine, that this role is divine, and and that we are to pattern our lives off of these teachings, whether it happened historically or not. But he asked me about bridging this concept of Christianity, whether it's real or not, with the simulation. And the most genius approach to that is straight out of the New Testament. I believe that we are immortal beings just passing through, just like the parables say. We're the prodigal son. We're the sojourner. We're the traveler. We're the good Samaritan that helps the traveler. Listen, all these parables are telling the story. But when asked about ruling and being king, Jesus told the truth. And here's where the simulation lies we're in a construct. And Jesus recognized that because they wanted him to to take on his mantle. They wanted him to lead. They wanted him to be king. They wanted him to take on the very authority that they knew he had by, by the way he spoke. But he answered, my kingdom is not of this world. And this tells me that I'm in an artificial construct and that there's something better waiting for me. And he was just here temporarily to let me know, hey man, there's a shred of hope, but you're in an evil construct, predator versus prey ecosphere right now, made by the God of this world, not made by the God of the universe. So the very answer, my kingdom is not of this world tells me there's something better where those precepts and those ideologies and those teachings that he provides actually have substance because they really don't hear everything is just the opposite as it should be inside this construct but my kingdom is not of this world tells me that we who follow that mindset and that type of spirituality are not of this world either
1: we have a little bit more of an extra advantage now also because more recent luminaries have uh, come forth and really explained the physics behind this construct uh that the western the contemporary western mind can more grasp you know we started with people like steiner that you know explained in certain ways and you have folks like walter russell that really got behind you know, the electrical construct and that we are all sons and co-creators. And that um, you know, it, again, it really, uh, explains exactly how everything, you know, that you talk about, uh, is a hundred percent true, but takes it a little bit out of the mystical realm and boils it down to pure physics.
2: Yeah. I'm a, uh, do don't get me wrong. I've, I've read a lot of that material myself. Um, the, uh, mm-hmm the the physics material is what blows your mind like Paul LaViolette, Violet his books his books just shocked me especially subquantum kinetics i couldn't i couldn't put that book down if, for a long time i was trying to wrap my head around what subquantum how is this possible subquantum kinetics basically bridges all these abstract uh, uh, uh ideas and concepts in physics that are not really Uh, they don't have any crossover. They're just different theories for different ideas. And and subquantum connects bridge them all together. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. How how can our world even be physical? It's got to be a mental construct for all these things to be true. And uh, he's not the only one. It's just, uh, it becomes apparent. Just the more and more we just cogitate on the world that we've been told, we just find over and over, it's not the world that we live in at all. And all these scientific explanations for all these things are just, they're, they're things that are taken on faith. It's just, it boggles my mind sometimes that people can still consider themselves uh, a free-thinking individual when they're still accepting things such as I, I descended from a monkey or, or that anybody today who was, there's nobody alive today who was alive in the 1800s. No one. And yet, With absolute authority, you're going to look me in the eye and tell me that this creature found in this rock died 65 million years ago. I'm just not, I'm just, I'm so beyond all that. Every bit of it is faith. Everybody who considers themselves scientific is just a religionist masked in a different package. Because in order to follow any science today, you have to have faith that you're being told the truth. You have to have faith that NASA, NASA's CGI images that they give you all the time and they admit in the images, this is a CGI rendering of the telemetry and all the data that we received through this telescope. When are telescopes not taking pictures? Telescopes are now producing mathematical constructs that are rendered in the CGI images that NASA publishes. Hey man, this is what this object looks like. Okay, you have to take it on faith that any one of those series of hundreds of variables are accurate in order for you to see that image and say that's the truth. All science is like that. We have to take things on faith that gravity is real. We have to take things on faith that the world, that the world is a globe going 63,000 63, miles through space, hurling around a star that is 93 million miles away. And that six months later, we're going to be exactly 187 million miles away from where we were when all the atomic clocks show that the earth is not moving at all. We're absolutely static. I mean, every single thing that we learn today is is basically taken on faith because science is supposed to be about direct observation and analysis, but that's not what's happening. It never has been. Every bit of the scientific model is also demonstrations of faith. Because in order to produce a new theory, it's always based on set parameters that have been established in the past, past, and they're all just taken on faith. So this, this is why I don't criticize my Christian brothers and sisters. I'm one of them. I just don't believe it literally happened, but to me spiritually, it doesn't matter. But the the difference, you know, people people really want to lean on, well, oh, I'm a Christian man, I know this is right and this is wrong. And yet you criticize the scientist when both of you are exercising your discretion to believe things you have not observed nor can you prove so from the scientific perspective and from the religious perspective they're both equally guilty it's faith you've accepted these things to be true you don't know them to be true
1: and that's why we call it scientism and it's also you know the proof is uh, just like uh, during the roman times uh the, the, the great works in true science, starting back from the early alchemists all the way up to people like Walter Russell, they never find their works in universities. You know, when I was going through all my medical training, it was all the scientism. And, uh, you know, if we're true, uh, taught the true science, then we would uh, appreciate the hermetic concepts of know yourself and you'll know the universe because it's one functional realm. We're all microcosms of the same thing. And also it prevents us uh, from escaping or making our final exodus from the, you know, from the simulation in the first place. So, yeah. uh, So here we are full circle, but the cat's out of the bag and I'm an optimist. Uh, I do believe a lot of people are going to decide to go down with the ship. And that's, you know, none of my business. It's, you know, who do who are we to think that we know what experience somebody else needs but uh, that's why it's just so important, you know, the work that you're doing to uh, just draw on all these uh, rich, uh, you know, sources from the past and connect the dots. And then to just shine the light on all the propaganda that began way back then with, uh, you know, with the, the Catholicism and the Vatican and how the same exact things going on today. So, uh, uh Jason, this has been great. Uh, How, uh, any final comments or things that you'd like to tie up with here or anything we didn't talk about that you think are important?
2: Oh, no, it was pretty good discussion. It's a, like like I said, if if there's people that want to do their own research and they want, they want to, uh, there's, there's a numerous sources that I cite. I mean, you guys know that uh, in the past week I released two dark scriptures videos which are montages on my own channel. I took my entire dark scriptures playlist and I abbreviated it down to two videos. So each video has like 12 videos, all edited and compressed in there into two hour presentations. So you get the full, you can get the full gamut. I've been doing that with all my, all my playlists, like the Phoenix, I had 82 Phoenix videos and people don't want to go through all that. So I edited all 82 videos down, removing intros, outros, extraneous information, rants, tirades, whatever, everything just to the core data. And uh, I, I abbreviated it to seven two hour long videos. So, so for those who are really interested in this topic, I would go listen to my two videos that I just released this week. Uh, on, because I discuss all these topics and more. The only thing I didn't discuss in those older videos is what, what I told you guys. This is the very first time I've talked about uh, uh, all these early church writings. One of the common denominators is, is how organized they were already in, in their hierarchy, in their deaconships and, and, and their clergy, showing, showing that these these, uh, these these references by early church writers are direct evidence of either one or two possibilities. One is that they're forgeries that were written centuries later, and this is why they they had all this church hierarchy down pat already. Or two, they're writing they're writing real stuff, which is a problem because none of it comports with the New Testament, but they're writing real stuff, but they're writing it in the first century. Like it's alleged. However, there's a church hierarchy already well established, like centuries established. That's a problem too. So, you, either way, we have a we have we have a serious issue here.
0: Yeah, and I think that also the great takeaway though is that they are spiritual texts through and through, and there is a, as you said, a divine sort of uh, thorough thorough put or uh, a, a message coming out of that that we can still take. And if Christians could um, focus more on that and less on the sort of salvation, the Savior, the uh, original sin, a lot of stuff I believe was interjected in for control system versus, you know, something like when I read the Gospel of Thomas, which I really enjoy, there is just a sort of a more of a a concept of the I am and of of us all embracing uh, the inner kingdom of God and those concepts, which are, I believe, going to lead, lead to a post-religion epoch, some would call, I did want to bring this up real quick, because I don't know if we touched on us a little bit, but the yugas cycles, and I know your history and your um, calendar, your calendar breakdowns, sort of, don't go back, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, right? You go back to what the actual texts can provide us. And so many say that I believe it's like the Kali Yuga, which is like the Iron Age. It's the age we've been going through of the predator-prey class is coming to an end in 2025. We'll have 300 years of transition, and then we'll be going into the the um, the ascended, the ascending uh, Dwapara Yuga cycle, which is like the Golden Age. Could it be that your breakdowns and everything that you found has just been the Kali Yuga, and that this Phoenix event will initiate us into this golden age. And that we just have the physical breakdowns and destruction is just that it's just like the cleansing as we move into that sort of a spiritual, more enlightened and sending age.
2: Well, uh, the narrative that you just told me about the, this uh, Vedic, Vedic chronology or whatever sounds very similar to what I promote, which is the apocalypse is going to give way there will be a reset of the system but when the system resets you already know those who are awakened those who are spiritual those who are ready to make their exodus they depart this construct and go to another they go somewhere else but those who are still in love with the world with with the con with the, those who have embraced the world those who have signed the contract those who are not ready they get recycled back but the recycling goes all the way back to the beginning of this program this similin program begins in a golden age and then it and then history all begins again then it begins to turn into a Kali yuga age then there's a great cataclysm and all this to me is a historical program that plays over and over and over and over with sl- just like uh, Alan Vaughn said history repeats itself but with variations it's the same thing uh, the AI together. System running this whole simulacrum from this time has learned many things, and it can change on the next one. But yeah, I agree with that chronology. I just, I just see it a different way. I see it as a system reboot. It, everybody goes back to the beginning.
1: Another uh, valuable source is, you know, Rudolf Steiner uh, explains the the larger evolutionary cycles going back thousands of years. Uh, you know, since humanity's inception here, uh, by way of the sky clock and the procession of the constellations and how each larger epoch um, stimulates these different events and historical cycles that have brought humanity to this point. It really parallels uh, you know, a lot of what you're talking about, Mike, but uh, I like it because it also brings in uh, more from an alchemical astrological, not a shallow astrological interpretation, but the, the true larger sky clock. And also makes it more acceptable for the the Western mind.
0: Love it, hey guys!
1: This has or been such a worth.
0: Yeah, um, been such a great conversation. I uh, really appreciate both of you. The chat has been on fire and been very positive. And I, I you know, the takeaway I always get from your stuff, Jason, is uh, we are empowered to be control of our own journey here we have our own as you say our own reality tunnel right that we are um directing and uh what's exciting about that is it gets us away from the victim mentality uh that i think a lot of people when they first hear simulation and they first hear no you know this gnostic um mentality uh they go right to the pop gnostic stuff and the demiurge controlling us and we're all victims but really that is not your message right i'd love for you to just end on this because that's the one of the bigger things we get oh you're bringing on jason uh, from our kicks we're all in the simulation we're all screwed you know uh, <laughs> we have no control over our lives and that's not your yeah. message at all
2: well they're getting that from my trolls my troll my trolls are try to try to control my narrative all the time they don't get that from my channel i don't i don't get a lot of detractors that actually go to my ch- channel and listen I get most of my detractors are the ones that follow troll channels so they get triggered when they hear I'm coming on on with somebody's group or something but that's fine that's fine that's to that's to be expected this is a war and I don't mind I don't mind being a participant so it's all but my message is that we're living in two different realities at the same time. And that the victim, the victim mentality is a part of the constructive, it's dungeon programming. And people very easily fall into this rut in their lives and they begin to live the victim. They begin to act like it and they modify their own their own uh, behavior to comport with a victim status, whether they know it or not. Most of it's unconscious. This feedback loop is created in the construct incessantly feeds more experiences into your life to justify your belief that you're a victim. My message is that the awakened individual, this highly individualized soul, is existing in a totally different reality, can create its own insular reality and modify the conditions of its existence because this is a field. It's only perceived as a world. And when you start understanding that you have the power for field construction, you can introduce feedback loops that will bring you the very circumstances that you want to experience. just the opposite of dungeon programming, but this requires you to be the architect and for you, you to allow the construct to build for you. The rest of the world are chasing carrots. They think they have to build all the things to bring the, to bring these things into their reality. And this is where the psychosis set in. This this is where all this, this depression sits in people move and work and they, and they, and, and they expend all this energy with the very act of, really desperately trying to accomplish something only pushes it away. So yeah, this is a, that's my message. We are co-creators. <laughs> we are co-creators. And if that's you're not, a- if you're not going to, uh, embrace the fact that you're in a relationship with reality, then reality is going to create conditions for you to make sure you don't ever come to come to that conclusion.
1: That was uh, very well said, Jason. Thank you. And uh, that's the way I hoped we'd kind of come back full circle to that point today. So perfect. And thanks again for being with us. Awesome. Love you guys.
0: Hey, Jason. Love you, man. Love you. uh, Go support Jason, archaix.com. That's A-R-C-H-A-I-X.com. And also archaix.tv for his content that's not on LooshTube. Uh, because you never know when it all goes away on that platform. So well, I'm,
2: hey, it's all. Uh, there's two reasons for that. One of them, I got a lot of videos on there, and I've got contributors like, like you guys aren't on there, but I got other other channels that have had videos deleted. And and shoot, they're coming to arcades.tv and putting their stuff up there. I'm free to talk about what I want to. I got people on there on my healing underground section. I got people that are really into homeopathic stuff. You can't talk about the pharmaceutical companies will attack you so I got a lot of good things happening on archaics.tv it's awesome but it is also a backup because I'm telling you now the day YouTube cancels my channel if that ever happens I, I will, the next day I'm going to have hundreds of videos uploaded to archaics.tv. so it is a, it's a backup and in, in this world it's a necessary evil
0: yeah and yeah. I will I will say your community has been very supportive of Cordal. I very much appreciate that. Thanks to Sol Luckman bringing that up. And, you know, Cordell now has the ability to host all of those videos on the QDN network that's distributed across the world. So you're not reliant upon a centralized server or your hard drives there at your house. So God forbid if there's a fire or any damage physically in that area that takes your server down, it doesn't matter because it's redundantly shared across millions of computers all over the world. So uh, and that's fully decentralized and it's, you know, fully um, r- run by the people, for the people, open source and all that. So I know uh, people already have uh, put up an archaic site, I believe, up on uh, the basic QDN website on Cordal, but that would be great to get all the uh, all of the archaics material eventually up there. So it is, is and also it's on a blockchain that is, you know, transparent and run by the people. So it's historically now set forever uh and benchmark so it cannot be wiped so anyways i know people get triggered by the that word blockchain but there it can be used for great good and great evil and uh <laughs> I,
2: I really don't know anything about it i don't know anything yeah. about cryptocurrency and i don't know anything about blockchain
0: well i'm saying so proud that Cordell doesn't call ourselves a crypto um but that being said thanks so much jason go support him Love you, man. Uh, really love your videos. They're always super fun and entertaining. Uh, those new to Jason, go check them out. Go support them. And we'll see you guys next week. Also, hopefully see you at Music and Sky in person. It's coming here before you know it, musicandsky.com. If you want $100 off at Music and Sky, use the co- uh, use the coupon ALPHAVEDIC23. ALPHAVEDIC is going to give $100 off to our fans now to Music and Sky tickets. Uh, Ooh, thanks, guys. Love you. We'll see you next week, Thursday, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Take it easy, Jason.
2: You too.